right, go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 15. So we are officially more than halfway done now with the book of Matthew. And I've been really anxious. I was planning on, um, after Matthew, I've been wanting to go to First and Second Corinthians. I keep uh, thinking of different subjects that I want to preach. And then it's always like in First and Second Corinthians. So I've been like, I just need to preach through that. But I got too anxious because I came across another sermon I wanted to preach. But I'm like, I'll be covering this when I go through First and Second Corinthians. And so I decided we're going to start doing that on Sunday nights. So Sunday night we'll start going through First Corinthians because there's just so much good practical stuff. Four churches in there, so that will begin. I, I couldn't wait another 14 weeks to, to get to it. So we're going to start on that on Sunday nights. But Matthew chapter 15 tonight, and we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he should be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition." Now, this particular passage, it can be somewhat difficult because the Bible does not go into detail about whatever this tradition was that the elders had. Because, for one, so the one, here, well, some things that we do know. Here we see the Pharisees from Jerusalem. So these are like the official Pharisees. These are like the head ones from Jerusalem. You know, from where the temple is. They come along and it's like, Jesus, why aren't your disciples following the tradition of the elders. And again, traditions are not necessarily a bad thing. There is nothing wrong with having traditions. Many churches have tradition. Our church has traditions. Uh, we have a generation coming up that hates tradition and they're often wrong in how they respond to tradition. But part of that too is a, is the fall of the IFB because many in the independent fundamental Baptist world they have preached for doctrines, the commandments of men. It's okay for us to have tradition, but when we act like our tradition is Bible doctrine, then we're out of line. And we'll probably give some examples. We don't have a right to say that. I, I like IFB traditions, but we need to recognize them for what they are, traditions. They are not doctrine. We do not have the right to go around declaring someone a heretic because they are not following our traditions. Now, so, but again, traditions aren't wrong as long as they don't cause you to violate clear commands. So, the pro, so when these Pharisees are calling out Jesus for not calling out traditions or following their, their traditions, Jesus is, he's calling out their hypocrisy because they actually had traditions that caused them to violate the Word of God. Now, when it comes to uh, what that tradition was. If we look at, I believe it's Luke's account, or Mark, in Mark's account, he talks, he uses a word in there, if you call it Corbin. Now, you can't really know for sure what that means just from reading the Bible, okay? And I'm not trying to add anything to Scripture here, but according to commentaries, and you can take for what it's worth, 
um, they one of the practices that they would have is the people they would often make a pledge to the temple treasury with something that was supposed to be used to take care of their parents. So like if they had like a piece of land or something like that, that technically they should share their cell so they could take care of their parents as their, uh, you know, that were elderly, they would often pledge to give it to the temple that, so then they couldn't sell it because when they died, it would go to the temple. And so it was basically a way that they could continue enjoying what they have rather than using it to take care of their parents. That's what I've read. Hopefully I'm explaining that exactly right. Here's the thing. What, here, what matters, what we know for sure, they had a tradition that caused them to violate the command to honor their father and mother. So you know what? You got to throw the tradition out. If we ever find out a tradition that we have is causing us to violate the word of God, we should throw that tradition out. We should throw that tradition in the trash can where it belongs. And uh, unfortunately, the Jews, they elevated their traditions above the word of God. And interestingly enough, that's still a problem today where their traditions trump the scriptures, their traditions trump reality. And it's, you know, a lot of people scratch their head when they learn about, for example, just things they've discovered in Israel that prove the Temple Mount is not the location of where Solomon's temple was. And it's like, well, how come when they discovered the Gihon Springs in the late 1800s, why didn't they change their mind and say, well, this is where the temple was? Because tradition doesn't matter. If they went back and if they invented a time machine and went back in time and saw that, yeah, that wasn't it, they'd be like, doesn't matter. Tradition. That's how they are in that world. And that's how they were in Jesus' day. And you know what? It got them in trouble. It got them in all kinds of trouble. And so the specifics of, you know, what this was, it doesn't really matter. The main thing, there was a clear command to honor their parents. And their traditions gave them a loophole to where they didn't need to honor their parents. And it caused a violation of God's law. So, again, you can have traditions as a family. We can have traditions as a church. And they're fine as long as they do not oppose God's law. And traditions are also fine as long as we do not try to implement them or enforce them in places where you have no authority. So, okay, for example, too, it would be out of line for, you know, Brother Jerry to try to force my family to follow their Christmas traditions that they have. They might have their way they celebrate Christmas. Maybe they do theirs on Christmas Eve. That's when they open their presents at midnight. And so that's what their family does. And they just go and start pushing all the other families here to do the same thing. It's just like, dude, you do your family. We do our family. You know, some people, they don't want to celebrate Christmas. You know, there's nothing in the Bible that says we have to, you know, and we shouldn't force them to. It's like you pay, or not pagans, but you, you know, heathens, you, you Jews, do you celebrate Hanukkah? I mean, what, maybe, maybe they do nothing on that day. Yeah, I like celebrating Christmas. But again, we don't have the right to enforce our family traditions on someone else. And we don't have the right to enforce our church traditions on someone else. You say, well, Pastor Tommy, I, you know, I've noticed you get upset when churches abandon their IFB traditions and start doing trendyisms and bringing their bistro tables and things like that in. And it's like, I know it, it, it definitely irritates me. You know, just like if I find out that, you know, if, if you celebrated Christmas in June, that would irritate me. You know, so, you, know you celebrate in December. That's, that's the way, we, you know, I don't have a right, I don't have a biblical reason to tell you, but it would irritate me. 
Okay? And sometimes we've got to learn to just let some things irritate us. And we're not very good at that. Okay? We, we really aren't. And let me just say this too. You know, for Pastor Skinny Jeans, you know, who wants to abandon all the IFB traditions? Okay? Listen, I can't figure out how to enforce these traditions on you. But why is it that you are, you know, you're saying I'm getting rid of tradition and then you go and you embrace all the new traditions of the new evangelical crowd? Again, you know, it would be one thing if you lost your pulpit of wood, amen. And, you know, if you and you replaced it with, I don't know, what could you, what, what would even work? Not a bistro table. Again, when, when you're going to the bistro table, I just see you embracing other people's traditions. You know, just use I don't know, what else is there even? These just make sense. I can't even think of anything else. But, but either way, you know, we do, we got to watch it, okay? Again, and, and your, your traditions do identify you, okay? Because again, our, for example, too, our Christmas that we celebrate today is a very Americanized version of it. It's a, it's very Sears, Roebuck, or Montgomery Wards. I forgot who it was that, uh, which one of those companies that really pushed the Santa Claus stuff and the presents and all that. It, I mean, it really is very Americanized. We hate to admit that, but it's true. And the same thing, too, when it comes to independent fundamental Baptist churches, how we operate, how we worship, all these things, it is very Americanized in many ways. And we've got to watch ourselves, you know, when we just go creaming people who don't necessarily follow all our traditions. Let's Make sure if we're going to nail them, we're accurate in where we nail them. Let's not act like they're violating the pulpit of wood doctrine because that's not really a doctrine. Okay, You can just find that phrase in the Bible. So, uh, again, I don't think Jesus was using a pulpit a lot of times when he preached a sermon on the mount. I'll bet he didn't even have a pulpit. I'll bet he, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll bet he wasn't using an iPad. I'll bet he didn't even have sermon notes. <laughs> I'll bet he wasn't even carrying a Bible when he did it. It doesn't mean any of these things are wrong. You know, it doesn't mean anything. You know, you, 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 you people have put your Bibles on your iPad. Well, you know what? Back in the day, they used to use scrolls. If we're really going to go old paths, let's, let's roll out some scrolls. It, you know, there's nothing wrong with using some modern things. We hate to admit that. We really do, especially as Baptists. But again, tradition, I do. I value tradition. But I do, as an independent fundamental Baptist, sometimes I struggle to keep it in its place. And remember that it is tradition, and, it, and tradition is not, does not equal doctrine. And if doctrine, our, our doctrine or our traditions should never cause us to go against Bible doctrine, but we also can't enforce our traditions on other people. And, but at the same time too, if we just decide we want to start changing everything, if we just decide as a church we want to throw out all our traditions, we have the authority to do that. But you know what? We also can't complain when people get suspicious of us and think that we're probably just embracing someone else's traditions and following a new crowd. We can't get mad if that happens because that's probably what people are going to think because traditions do identify you. They absolutely identify you. And, uh, and so... Um, you know, we're not, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But verse 7, Jesus goes on to say, Ye hypocrites! Because it is hypocrisy to like try to enforce a tradition when you have, when your traditions are violating the law of God. That's so much worse. 
It is so much worse to violate the law of God. He said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So you see, tradition should not be taught as doctrine. We can't, we, we've got to watch out for that kind of thing. Okay? Let's not just throw out the traditions only to replace them with new traditions. Because everyone has traditions. Absolutely everyone. How you run your service, how you worship, it is. It's, it's going to be very tradition-based. And I do believe every church has the right to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, follow the Word of God, and they should worship and practice as they see fit. How people, how people soul win. There are some churches, they insist, and they, they insist, or some encourage, some full-blown insist, that when you go soul winning, that you wear a white shirt and tie. That's how they do it. Okay? Uh, you know, I'm just glad they're soul winning. You know, but if, if that's how they, if, and if I went to that church and I participated in their soul winning, I would wear a white shirt and tie. That is exactly what I would do. That's, that's their tradition. Now, I'm, I'll, I'll let them do them as long as they don't come over here and demand we all do the same thing. You know, I'm afraid we'll look too much like Mormons if we wear white shirts and ties, you know, uh, and, you know, and even too, uh, typically that's how you identify, if, if you want to know the difference, when I see soul winners, if I see white shirt and tie, I usually think soul winner, or uh, Mormon. If I see colored shirt and tie, I usually think Jehovah's Witness. And so the more casual ones, usually us. And you can call us liberal, you know, it's, tra- it's tradition, okay? And we're, we're trying to use whatever's effective. We don't want to freak people out when we go up to their door. And if we look too religious, we freak them out. If we look too official, they might think we're cops. I- I've had them think that before. I've had people go, oh man, I thought you were the cops. <laughs> you know, they thought we're detectives or something there, you know, because we're dressed up. And we don't, you don't want, we don't want to freak people out. So I think people just need to do whatever they think is going to be effective. But again, if churches have their traditions, that's fine. Just don't teach it as doctrine. And I do, I think this is a, a big mistake that we make in the IFB world. You know, they, um, uh, enforce, you know, and they'll criticize other churches if they don't have a Sunday school program, if they don't have, uh, you know, bus routes, if they're not doing faith promise missions, if they're not, you know, whatever. You know, these things are all traditions. And I believe every church has the right to do these things. And again, a lot of these traditions I think are good. They're tested. They're tried. Sometimes it's all, you know, these pastors know it's how they run things that's worked for them. But if somebody else does something a little different that's working for them, leave them alone. Let, let them do, let them do their thing. We can't act like these things are doctrine. And so I do, I believe most IFB churches would be wise not to change on their traditions, but I think we need to be careful in how we speak about those who practice different traditions. We got, we got to be careful about that. And so in verse 10, it says, And he called the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Now, this is important to remember because the Jews had many dietary laws. And guess what? Those dietary laws are about to go away, which is going to be a very tough concept for the Jews. It's going to be a tough pill for them to swallow. 
Remember Peter? How three times God had to show him the vision of that unclean beast and had to say, kill and eat? Three times God had to show him that vision. He didn't want to eat that which was common and unclean. You know why? Because that was a tradition. That was a big tradition they had done for a very long time. He had never in his life eaten anything common or unclean. And he wasn't about to start, even though, you know, the Lord's telling him in a vision and angels telling him to do it. That's how, that's how into his tradition that he was. And so Jesus is teaching them an important concept here. That prophet like unto Moses, who they are supposed to follow and do what he says, he isn't just, you know, blindsiding them with this changing of dietary laws. And he's not even officially changed it yet. He did, he's not feeding them bacon sandwiches right here. But he's prepping them for it. And he's just letting them know, hey, you know, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. They would feel very defiled in eating something unclean. Like, I have done something to make myself unholy. Because I ate something that was unclean. But again, we can even make application today too. Because somebody who grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist church. I mean, there are many things that I have never done and tried. And I do believe it's obeying doctrine. But at the same time too, it's also tradition too. I've got both things motivating me. You know, I mean, I was taught don't, you know, drink, smoke, chew, you know, don't try that stuff. Don't do drugs, all these different things. But here's what it's important that we understand about that. Because again, many people have done these things. Are you defiled? Well, again, here's what we need to understand. It's not, it's not about what goes in you. It's about what comes out. And here's one of the big problems with alcohol. Alcohol typically makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do. And, 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 but at the same time, too, it's not drugs or alcohol entering your body that defiles you. It's what you do under the influence of those things that, that's wrong. So, for example, you say, would you ever you know, take drugs or alcohol? Um, I've done drugs before. When I was in the hospital prescribed by a doctor who pumped it in an IV and I, I had to do drugs. They were going to cut me open. You think I'm doing that sober? You know, or, you know, without the influence of drugs, there's no way they went and they came. I remember the nurse came in and they, they were getting ready to sedate me. And it's like, we're going to give you whatever it's, it's You know, you're going to make, it's going to make you feel like you had a couple beers. Well, I don't even know what that's like. It felt pretty good, but at this, the hangover wasn't worth it. Hangover wasn't worth it, but I, I remember uh, I did. I started feeling really good. Next thing that I know, they carved me off. Next thing I know, I was awake. Surgery was over. It was not that traumatic. Of, it wasn't a traumatic experience, and it was, I, was, I did drugs. I do not believe I defiled myself when I did those drugs, but that does not mean now that I'm going to go over to the gas station and buy a couple beers and just drink those things or take these things recreationally. Hey, what, you know, go find out what it is they give people when they sedate them. Because I do remember feeling pretty good when I'm having a bad day. Go shoot myself up with some of that stuff. That's abusing those things. I'm pretty sure that if I don't take those things very carefully under supervision, I'll probably do some things that I regret. I'll probably hurt myself if I do that. And so, but, but again, I don't believe I sinned when I did those things. And so when it comes to drinking, when it comes to drugs, it's not about what goes in you that defiles you, but it's about what comes out of you that defiles you. Look what it says in verse 12. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? 
And again, I, I'm not surprised because the Pharisees were. They were all about their traditions. That meant everything. And you know what? Question an IFB pastor's tradition and watch his head explode. Because, you know, that's, a, and, and I, you know, and I've just learned it's best to just be honest with people. Pastor Tommy, why do we have to sing the old hymns? I'll tell you why, because the Bible says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And when it says hymns, when it says psalms, it means 150 psalms in our King James Bible. When it says hymns, it means Bible truth hymns. I, I, that's what it means, right? No, that's not, that's not what it means, okay? I, I, I'll bet their, our hymns don't sound exactly like their hymns did in Paul's day. I, I, I'll, I'll bet they, I'll, I'll bet they don't. I'll bet theirs sounded a little more Jewish. In Israel, I'll bet there's sound a little more Greek, you know, and, and some of these other places in Philippi and Galatia and places like that. I'll bet a little bit of their culture and their time era came out in those hymns. It, it's, but it, at the same time, I, these hymns that we sing, they are very traditional. They are very traditional. And again, the reason we sing the kind of songs that we sing, the reason our church has the look that it has is because we want to look like, we want to sound like an independent fundamental Baptist church. Be, not so much because we just like the feel and all that stuff, even though I do, but because we like the doctrine, we like what it represents. And therefore, you know, we do, we want it to have that IFB feel. But did you know that it's possible that there could be another church that doesn't quite have the same feel that we do, but they still have good doctrine? They're still honoring the Lord. They're still praising Him from the heart. They're pleasing God. That's very possible. Okay? It's, and, you know, we hate to admit things like that. But it is a reality. And so we got to be careful about how we judge these things. And so as, as a pastor, if people ask me about these things, I just try to tell them, it's like, listen, you show me a church that's got better doctrine than ours, that's got better practices, that's seeing more souls saved and following the commands of God better, that sings a different type of songs we do, and maybe I'll take a look at their music. But again, typically, the best churches that I see, following the scriptures the best, you know, being examples of godly, uh, you know, godly Christians, typically are singing the old-fashioned hymns. They're not singing the 7-Eleven stuff. We don't want to be one of these churches. Did anybody see the videos of that church that had like all the, where they like, had like a coin toss thing in there, and then a lady like did a kickoff of the Bible? In the church on the stage, it was an absolute joke. And uh, don't even get me going on that. Yeah, some of the stuff that went on in churches this Sunday was an absolute abomination. I mean, just all this football-themed stuff, preachers dressed like referees, you know, wearing football jerseys. They had like this tunnel that was like going into the church sanctuary. They made it look like a, you know, a stadium, like you were going to a ball game and stuff. And just absolutely ridiculous. In church. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff is wrong. We don't, I, I think, I, I think it's okay to want to have an old fashioned feel, something that's tried and tested. And I promise you, from what I saw, I guarantee you, you would, nobody heard a clear gospel presentation in those churches. Guarantee it. Guarantee you weren't hearing any good doctrine. So these things, they do, they, they identify us. But verse 13 says, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. 
Then answered him Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us the par- this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? And again, think about how hard it is to help IFB people understand how certain things are just traditions and not necessarily commanded in Scripture and then multiply that tenfold with the Jews. Because they were. They were all about traditions. But you know, you, you see how there are people who come to our church and they see some of the things that we do or that we don't do that you typically find in IFB church and they're just like, should we even be here? You know, I mean... What, you didn't have an altar call after the service? Is this even a Baptist church? It's like, can you show me a Bible verse that says that you can't do that? I can't even show you a Bible verse that says to do that. It's called a tradition. It is. It's an absolutely a tradition. And you can't force somebody to do every one of those traditions. And but So think about just stuff that we've dealt with. Because we've not followed certain traditions because we as a church had thought have come to conclusion we things would be better if we did it this way and it has worked and it has been effective and we don't go around demanding everybody do it our way we we don't we don't do that but imagine how this would have been for the jews so again we so we we've got a little idea of what they were dealing with and so jesus disciples like we're not getting this how can these traditions not matter? How can they not be that important? But Jesus is trying to show them they're not that important. And then verse, so in verse 25, or verse 17, he said, Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought. Okay? And we talked about a drought house the other day. It's like an outhouse. So I don't think I need to explain what that means. But it says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So again, this is why we stay away from drugs and alcohol. Not because putting these substances in our body will like defile us and make us less sanctified. But because of the fact that if we put certain substances in our body, it is very likely to cause us to behave in a way that would defile us. Because we recognize the fact that our flesh is sinful, our flesh is wicked, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the last thing we want to do is to take something that will remove our inhibitions that we have And that will cause us to let down some of those safeguards and things and cause us to do something that we probably wouldn't normally do. And isn't it pretty common for people when they are under the influence of alcohol to do things that they are later ashamed of? And those things that they did, the adulteries, the fornications, those do in fact defile them. So it's not that what they poured in their mouth. Because again, if I, I do not believe in drinking alcohol. But, you know, if I'm living back in the Western days and I'm out on the prairie somewhere and I get shot and somebody's got to pull a bullet out of my leg, you know, I'd probably take the shot of whiskey to help with the pain. And I don't think I'm defiling myself in doing that because it's not about what goes in. It's about what, it's about what comes out. And so there is, there is a time and a place for drugs. There absolutely is a time and a place for drugs. 
But I, for, for myself personally, I'm not going to do drugs unless a doctor convinces me that I need it. And I will do it. I will take them under his supervision. But I'm not going to recreationally take those things. And I've had doctors many times tell me I need to take drugs for stuff. And I still didn't. I remember after I had my appendix taken out, they gave me Vicodin. I, I heard a whole bunch of horror stories about Vicodin. And so I, I was very nervous about it. I asked a lot of questions like, well, you know, you could just take an, an Advil or aspirin or something like that if you have any pain. And so I remember, you know, I did it. And they're, they're like, don't go. And I was like, well, I don't think I'll need it. And they're like, well, don't just struggle through the pain. You know, if you need it, take it. And you know what? I took, and this is how good of a job they did in the surgery. I took like one aspirin after I went home and that was it. I, I didn't have any trouble with the pain, but they did. They gave me like two weeks worth of Vicodin. And I was like, I'm not taking these things if I don't have to. I was scared of it. I think we ought to be scared. When I was a little kid, I watched a little house in the prairie where got, the guy got addicted to morphine. And he had those, if you ever saw that, he had those like nightmares and things. That freaked me out when I was a little kid. That absolutely freaked me out. And I'm like, I'm never taking morphine. And I remember we were visiting someone in the hospital. I was with my dad. I was just probably 10, 11 years old. We were visiting somebody in the hospital that had just had their appendix taken out. And that was back before, the, they, and they didn't do the laparoscopic because when they cut them open, it used to be a lot worse. And I remember the doctor said, now we've got morphine hooked up for you. If you start feeling pain, just push that button. It'll give you more morphine. And I remember as a kid, I'm thinking, don't push that button. <laughs> and, don't, and, I, I'm like, and, I'm, and I remember, too, when I'm like in my 20s and I'm getting my appendix taken out, I'm like, I'm not taking the morphine if they give it to me. I, I remember those hallucinations that guy had, and it scared me. And so, again, uh, so... But, but if those who have taken those things, you know what? You didn't defile yourself. But I will tell you this. Many people out there abusing drugs, taking them for recreational purposes, they are constantly defiling themselves with their behavior that they do while under the influence of those things. And so, again, it's not about just not defiling ourselves. And so that's what Peter and the disciples and the other Pharisees didn't get is that, hey, it's not about what goes in your body. It's about your behavior. It's about what you do and that if you're doing sins, these are the things that defile you. And in Proverbs 23:32, talking about wine, it says, At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. We all, and this goes along with what I think we talked about on Sunday or maybe it was the week before, we all still have our flesh that is sinful. And we do. While we may have been, we've become successful in, in getting victory over certain sins, if you start messing with things like alcohol, you are very likely to give in to those things. You're very likely to enhance that fleshly side of you and you will defile yourself in that situation. So that's why, we, that's why we're passionate against alcohol and things like that. Because, and that, and people will say too, you can't show me where it explicitly says this thing is always a sin. And it's like, well, no, because if it was a sin to put something in your mouth, then it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter if you needed surgery. It wouldn't matter. You know, it's, it's like fornication is just always a sin, no matter what. But again, there is a time and a place for some things. And there is, there's a time and a place for drugs. But it doesn't mean it's for any time. It doesn't mean it's all the time. So, 
Never forget those things. And so verse, because in two, if you think you can take a recreational drug without it having a negative physical and spiritual effect, you know, in my judgment, you're being very foolish to think that. And so watch out for that. So verse 21, then Jesus went thence and departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this particular moment is one where people will take Christ's words here and his actions and then just kind of run with them, making all kinds of assumptions. And it will typically be used to prop up a lot of dispensational or Jewish superiority doctrines. And that is wrong. Let's be real honest with the scriptures here at what we're seeing. Well, let's read the rest of this. So then came she and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, these words are some strong words that we just heard from Jesus. And these are some very humble words that he heard from this woman. So what are we to conclude from reading this passage? So first off, it is a fact Jesus was sent to the Jew first. But what does that mean exactly? Because the fact that Jesus went to the Jew first does not prove the superiority of the Jews. But this was done because they were the people of God that God had made a covenant with. And that old covenant was with the house of Israel. So Jesus, of course, when he comes, he's going to go to Israel first and preach these things. Now, the new covenant is with the whole world. But that first co- that old covenant was with Israel. And we've already seen, we've been highlighting this as we go through the book of Matthew, how this was a great mission that they were on to preach the gospel to everyone in Israel. He's going to all the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's just Jesus and the twelve mainly. And they're, and they're trying to go to all the cities of Israel. His fame is already causing him attention to where he can barely handle everything physically. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus is struggling to keep up with everything that's going on. We have been seeing the humanity of Christ. He got hungry. He got tired. He got weary. He would get discouraged. He needed his time alone to pray. All this physical work he was doing while it was getting a lot of attention, it, it wasn't having the kind of spiritual impact you would hope for either with the Jews. In, you know, in his own home city, not many people believe there, but he's still doing all this work. And so if he starts doing miracles for the Gentiles, then things are really going to get out of hand. Again, he can barely physically, and this is why too, just, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but this is why he told his disciples greater work shall ye do than these because I go to my Father. It was Christ and His mission. It was it was a huge thing, the three years them going. And he, he did as much as He could physically handle. But look at what happened after the Holy Spirit came and empowered the church. They got the gospel to the whole world. What an amazing thing that was. So we, we do, we forget about the humanity of Christ 
in this situation that he can barely handle all that's already on him. If he just goes now and starts, you know, give it, going to all the Gentiles who need help and who need healing, it can't be done. And he's got a responsibility to get to Israel. So it's not that he doesn't care about this woman. That, that's not the case. It's just he physically can't do anything about it. Have you ever had somebody too? And, you know, and I've had people here call the church before and go talk about all these financial needs and things they have. And it's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't feel sorry for them. But it's just like, I just don't have the ability. That, you know, I've talked to many people before that start telling me all their financial problems. And I'm just like, man, I really do feel sorry for you, but I can't take this burden on for you. I don't have the ability to do this. And so if Jesus starts performing miracles with the Gentiles, he's really going to be swamped. He's really going to have people chasing him down. And so I believe that uh, that's one of the reasons uh, we kind of see this response. And it doesn't mean he doesn't care for her. So let's look at another account of this story too, and I think we'll see more evidence of what I'm claiming. Mark 7 in verse 24, it says, And from thence he arose and went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entering into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. So notice, again, he's already just, he's got too many people coming after him. He's like literally trying to hide and can't even hide. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devils out of her. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. So again, Jesus has a responsibility to get to Israel first. He is there. You know what he's doing? He's confirming that covenant. He's there preaching these things to the people. He's fulfilling a promise that he had made to Israel during this time. That was his mission during this time. And so this clearly, you know, what we're seeing here in Mark, it does, it gives additional evidence for what we can assume from everything we've seen taking place in Matthew. That's why Jesus, he just, he just can't go and, and help everyone who's needing it, especially in the Greek world as well. So verse 29, and Jesus departed from thence and came nigh to the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, and the maimed be whole, and the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days, and have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And while Jesus' main mission was on the spiritual needs, he was always well aware of the physical needs and he was compassionate about it. And this is, that's the message I want to get to all of us tonight here too. Because this is important. Jesus' main mission was the spiritual. But he recognized the physical needs. He cared more about healing them spiritually than he did physically. But he recognized, he understood the burden these people were under, being crippled, being blind, having these physical problems. And often, you know, why would we expect lost people to get a hold of spiritual truths when they're, first off, they're not saved and they've got this pressing physical need? People, if they're hungry, you know what you think about when you're hungry? 
You think about your hunger. And, you know, we, if we see that there's a need someone has, okay, it's okay. You know, we ought to have compassion and we ought to have sympathy because we, and understand that, you know what? It's very unlikely I'm going to be able to get them to focus on the spiritual thing when they've got, they're majorly sidetracked by this physical need. And we need to be compassionate and we ought to be willing if we have the ability to try to help people in those needs. And, you know, maybe buy somebody a meal before you try witnessing to them. It's like, well, I'm hungry. Well, let me tell you about the bread of life. Hey, Jesus told him about the bread of life after he fed him in John. Okay, and that was when they came back for meal number two. It's like, hey, you know what? I already fed you yesterday. Now you got to listen to me talk about the bread of life. But it's okay. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when people want that. And often we can kind of become very cold to people's physical needs. You know, I, I just care about the spiritual. I, I get that. You know, but that is more important, but they don't know that. They have no way of knowing that. You need to have compassion. And so Jesus did. He had compassion when he would see these things. And so verse 33, when the disciples say unto him, when should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And isn't this pathetic that they even said that? Because Jesus had already fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. It just, these disciples, sometimes you, when you read these stories, like, why did Jesus even pick those guys? And, you know, I think the answer is, so we can read in the Gospels how pathetic they are, and then watch what happens when they get filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. If he had got a bunch of hot shots and superstars, we'd have been like, I can't be like that. But you know what? When we look at them in the Gospels, like, I can be like that. But then when we see what they do in the book of Acts, then you know what? It's like, you know what? I guess I could do that too if I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. So, uh, I, I think that's why he chose the sorry group that he did. And they were a sorry group. And so are we. But if we, if we, if we follow the Holy Spirit, we'll do good. And so Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven and a few little fishes. That's more than they had a long time. And he, said, and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and brake them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets full, and they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. And he sent the multi- away the multitude and took ship and sent the, or came into the coast of Magdala. And so another incredible miracle and another chapter showing the humanity and the deity of Christ. And so just if I can just take these last few minutes to just preach and to just put out a challenge to all of us to follow Christ's example in this area of having compassion and recognizing the physical needs of people. The reality is, it is labor to minister to people's needs. And sometimes we have to take care of the physical before we can get to the spiritual. In James chapter 2, it says in verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man may say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food... And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. We should not just completely neglect and ignore physical needs people have. If you see somebody struggling, 
If you see somebody pinned down in a car in a wrecked vehicle and they're about to die and their car is catching on fire, that's not the time to tell them about you know, how they can avoid the fires of hell. They need to be saved from the fires of that car first. You know, they, they have a pressing physical need right there. Take care of that first. That, that, that's what they truly need. If you see somebody, they're out in the cold. They, you know, and they're, they're shivering. They're broke down on the side of the road. That's not the time to give them the gospel. You know, get them safe, somewhere safe first. Get them warm first. And then give them the gospel. That, that's when we need to do these things. I had a guy one time that he, he, wrecked, his, he wrecked his bicycle by my house. He, he wrecked his bicycle. And so he uh, went off into the ditch and messed his bike up. And so he came up to our house and asked if I'd give him a ride into town. And so I, I gave him a ride into town. And you know what? While I was giving him a ride into town, I started witnessing to him. I gave him the gospel and he got saved. Okay? Now, you know what I shouldn't have done? It's like, I know you need a ride, but you know what? I'd rather tell you how to get to heaven. And then I witness and I don't give him a ride. And he's not going to listen to me. We ought, we ought to take care of the physical need and then use that as an opportunity to try to give him the spiritual need. And so, uh, you know, we do have many churches today. You know, sometimes people on our side, we kind of swing the pendulum again because we have so many churches today only taking care of the physical needs. They've got the food banks and the food pantries and the shelters and all these different things, and they never give people the gospel. They, they have every community program in the world. They bring in the bounce houses and the dunk tanks and the entertainment and they do, they'll stuff people with food. They'll, they'll do toy drives, coat drives. They'll do all these things and they never give people the gospel. Okay? But at the same time too, you know, it's, it's okay to, you know, recognize a physical need and then use that as an opportunity to, to give them the gospel. Our focus should always be the spiritual, but let's have compassion and be able to see the physical. And so a man with an empty stomach is going to be focused on the empty stomach. We can't expect his mind to be where our mind is, especially when we have a full stomach. We need to have compassion, try to help him, and maybe he'll care to hear what we have to say after he sees we care about him. And so the problem we have today, though, is in the United States, it's not that people are so much distracted by physical needs, because the vast majority of people, those needs are met in our country today. You know, problem we have in our country people have too much food you know, that's i mean that we have we have an abundance of food but what we're up against is people who are in a spirit a severe spiritual darkness and don't know it okay it, w- it would actually be easier if it was just a matter of them being hungry it's easy to feed people it's easy to buy somebody a meal that's actually really easy the problem we have today is people are in they're just in spiritual darkness you know, what, um, they have, you know, they're so consumed by just the things of this world, just, uh, all the television and entertainment, the distractions and things that are out there, that they're too distracted to listen to us. There's too much going on. They're too focused on everything in, in the world that's not important. But what we need to learn to do is just wherever the needs of the people are, we need to be able to recognize them. We should always have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, but we also need to have a true compassion and an ability to recognize people's specific needs. Some people, they don't need food maybe so much, but you know maybe they need somebody to be friendly. They need someone to care about them. They need someone to just talk with them. 
That, that's what some people need. There are some people, you know, we get, you know, we get used to, uh, most of the people who get saved out soul winning are people who are, they are just kind of ripe for the picking. They're in crummy churches searching for truth, hearing enough of the Bible to make them interested in the things of God, but they don't know they're going to heaven and they desperately want to know. Those people are easy to get saved. But, you know, there's a lot of people to get them to salvation. It's going to take a lot more than just knocking on their door one time. And you know what? It'd be good if, you know, you, when you're out soul winning, if you do, if you, to not be so focused on just getting somebody saved in that particular outing, particular outing, but pay attention. You know, we, sometimes you have those elderly people that just want to talk to you. Hey, when, when you see that, you know, you might, you know, have enough perception and compassion to recognize that, hey, this is a lonely person. I'm not going to get them saved today. But if I took the time to maybe give these people a few visits and just be a friend to them and give them somebody to talk to, I'll bet I could eventually get them to actually pay attention to what I have to say and give them the gospel and just to be willing to go the extra mile. So there's some people we're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice a little bit. You're going to need to give them some time. You're going to need to do some things for them, you know, and just, uh, but we've got to have that ability to recognize people's needs. And sometimes we're just not really good at that. Where Jesus, he was real good at that. Jesus was real good at spotting the needs of people. And that is a great spiritual gift. If you're somebody that has that gift, um, some Christians have that better than others. I will admit that's probably not one of my, I've got it a little bit, but sometimes I'm slow. I'm not real quick to pick up on those things. You know, sometimes my wife's had to get on me before when there, I've like missed opportunities because I was just being clueless. And it's like, you know, this is what the person was wanting. It's like, oh yeah, I think you're right. But I, I, I missed it, you know, and and so, uh, but it, that's important that we develop that. And I believe it will be, it'll help us be very effective in our soul winning. So with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this chapter and the wonderful lessons we can learn from it. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help each one of us in here to have that uh, compassion for others. Help us to be aware of people's needs. And when we see them, uh, help us to just have a strong desire to try to meet those needs, Lord, so we can have that opportunity to give them the gospel and to be willing to just go that extra mile and uh, give somebody some extra time and sacrifice so we can see them saved. In your name we pray. Amen. So.